Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For us, it's, it's really, can you keep inspiring people to learn, right? I do it with my own kids at home. You know, things that are going on now, right? The protests. I was like, well, you know, hey, your parents came from the rural South. I think this is a great time for you to learn about, like, how did not only them, but other people make their way here to the North for jobs? You know, why did that happen? Why was it important? Friends of mine that are in academia, they're like, you know, make the student actually go do the work to do some of the research on their own. That's the piece for us, right? Can you unlock and inspire a love of learning? From the Fox 6 studios, this is definitely Milwaukee. Conversations with the movers and shakers that put our slice of Wisconsin on the map in the worlds of entertainment, business, sports, and more. I'm Carl Deffenbaugh. How do you shift to online learning when a chunk of your 78,000 students can't get online? That was the challenge facing Milwaukee Public Schools after the coronavirus forever changed the 2020 school year. And it's something that Wendell Willis is still focusing on as executive director of the MPS Foundation and previously the chief operating officer for the district. He takes us through the ways that MPS got food, materials and technology to students most in need and how their Connect Milwaukee program aims to level the playing field by providing high-speed Wi-Fi to students and training and support to teachers. Plus, in the midst of protests over racial injustice, Willis has a message for young demonstrators and shares his own experiences as a black man coaching girls soccer in Whitefish Bay. It's an important conversation about some of the biggest issues in our city today. So let's get to it with Wendell Willis. Very happy to be joined here by the executive director of the Milwaukee Public Schools Foundation, Wendell Willis. Thank you so much for checking in with us. A proud Northwestern Wildcat as well. And I promise this podcast won't just be all uh, <laughs> raving about the, the purple and white. Well, thanks, Carl, for having me. Really appreciate it. <laughs> it's great to uh, check in with everyone. We're kind of seeing how everyone's doing uh, in a time that is really unlike any other. We can't say that enough. What started with a pandemic that the whole world is facing and now certainly some perhaps even more important things that the country and the world is dealing with as well. How has this time, what has this time been like for you? And have you experienced anything like this in, in your career, in your life before? You know, obviously, um, you know, things, I mean, the closest obviously is 9-11. So we had family that was in New York and we were checking in with them. But this is completely different, right? You know, you're talking about the entire country shutting down, everyone trying to make this pivot to what does life look like? during this and you know my mind races ahead so i keep thinking about can we come out of this being better than where we were before because you know you start to see that you know at least for me in my role normal wasn't working for everyone it worked for a lot of people but let's make sure our most vulnerable can be uh well cared for and you know we can actually have a, a level of decency for everybody right so it's just been you know it's been wild we've all had to make the adjustment uh, whether it be going home, doing a hybrid, you know, I'm in the office today, but we make sure we're spread out and doing the right thing. So we kind of pick and choose days where we're in and out. So 
it's just different, right? It's a whole new experience for everybody. Well, let's dive into what it's meant for uh, MPS and for just schooling in general in Milwaukee. We've done a lot, a lot of stories, obviously, on the news about the shift to online learning, how this has affected other industries as well. But what were those first moments like for the foundation, for MPS? Were there plans in place or because this is such an unprecedented time, is it, okay, we have to figure out a solution kind of now on a, on a fast track? Well, it's a hybrid, right? You know, we have, you know, and I, being part of the prior administration with Dr. Driver, you know, I was chief operating officer. So we had protocols in place for all sorts of catastrophe and crisis management plans. But this is a little different, right? This is a, a you know, an enemy you can't see, you can't feel, you just, it's out there. So it was, it was really interesting for us because when all this started, uh, we were actually sponsoring the student job fair for MPS. And so, you know, I was with the superintendent, Dr. Posley. I was with our board chair, uh, John Kersey at Zilber LTD. And we were, you know, we had a room of around like five to 700 students that were going to get jobs. And that morning we got the call from Aurora Healthcare that said, hey, we're going to stay because we think something's coming. And we're not sure that we want to be present. And we kind of said, well, are we, are we putting people at risk? Like, we're not sure yet. But, you know, it, it felt like, okay, it might not be a Wisconsin thing yet. Yeah. And then, you know, by, you know, so this is a Wednesday morning. By Thursday afternoon, you know, everybody's contemplating, I think we're going to shut things down. Friday morning was, let's begin the shutdown. And then what does that look like? So executing some of the plans that I knew were in place, but then really, I think, on the district side, pulling together and being in constant communication with them. What does this mean? Because we had a, a STEM fair that we sponsored the following week. The week after that, we had a United Nations World Fair at Panther Arena. So you know, each of these events kept getting bigger, 700 students, 1,000 students, then 2,800 students. What do you do? And then the logistics. And you know, I just said, even that Friday, right, when there was still a little bit of consternation around, are we going to hold the event at Panther Arena? I'm like, I don't think there's any way we get 2,800 to 3,000 students in a venue. They can be distant. It's just too much, right? Let, let's just let's work with our partners. If we have to lose the money, we're fine with it. But, you know, uh, Marty and his team at Wisconsin Center and Panther Arena, they've, they've always been great to us. So they were like, don't worry about it. Just, just do the safe thing. We got to do the safe thing, too. Let's make sure we have a plan in place that if and when we can come back, we can highlight the event and do the right thing. So... It, you know, a lot of learning on the fly, but also I think the nice part is you have a number of professionals that we work with, whether it be the IT staff, the academic team. They've got enough plans in place where we could take a plan and, and, and you know, make a hybrid that works for all. Yeah. And the neat thing about that is all those different people are trying to figure out what the heck's going on as well at the same time. So nice that they were still still accommodating, still working with you on that front. Um, I think one of the maybe positives to come out of this has been people's general awareness about all that Milwaukee Public Schools does and is responsible for, for students and, and even more so for families around the area. So I know it's not necessarily specific to the foundation. I'll get to the connectivity part, yeah. but what are some of the ways that MPS has really reached out and helped support these families while they are at home during the pandemic, whether it's, it's food, it's materials, it's that online learning, it's really everything in terms of basic necessities. Yeah, so I mean, you know, from a number of methodologies and a number of people, you know, first we had, as soon as we went home, we had a number of teachers that I just know, both personally or anecdotally, because you hear so many things happening, they were like, what's going on with my students? So friends of ours, and then, you know, other uh, colleagues that I work with, 
They just said, I'll, I'll get my roster, take it home. And we know, um, you know, obviously we had stories of teachers actually driving supplies over to kids' houses, making sure they had what they need just to keep active, you know, and the district's working on formulating their plan as to what online learning should look like, but giving latitude to the teachers because not every classroom is the same, not every principal is the same. So that's where it kind of started with principals and teachers saying, I'll, you know, I'll own my classroom, I'll own my students and make sure that they're well cared for. And the first step that came out of that was really, okay, we've got to look at food because we know that with a very high poverty rate, we're supplying a number of, you know, nutritional supports for our students. And then again, like I said, being COO, uh, nutrition fell under me at the time and knowing full well that breakfast and lunch was huge for us. So making sure we could do that, that packet, so to speak, out at the community in those 20 sites. So that team stepped up very admirably went out and said, you know, we're not worried about like if we can get equipment, we'll do it, but we're not worried about it. We're just going to do it because it's the right thing to do and started with not turning anybody away. We found a number of adults, right, that were without food for the first time and partners of ours, Hunger Task Force, Feeding America stepped up, but also were very strained. So at least where we had food supplies and they may not have, we could get that, that breakfast and lunch taken care of secondarily, it was the academic and hygiene kits, right? So when I say an academic kit, it's not really the formal academic learning, but, you know, stuff that we would provide for our families, whether it be, you know, a puzzle, a board game, you know, something to keep your mind going, cards, leisure activities a lot of our students don't have. And then those hygiene supplies, because obviously, you know, you're in the city, people are hoarding, people are grabbing things. So trying to make sure, and you know, it's taken us a while to get that out, but now we're getting ready to finally distribute those hygiene kits. And then for summer school, making sure that again, our students have something to keep themselves busy rather than, you know, just kind of being out roaming the streets. But, you know, we want you to be doing things maybe with a friend, but be physically distant and responsible while you're doing it, right? So, you know, you can do a game together, you can do something that's realistic, but you're not on top of each other and, you know, spreading a disease. So, you know, that's been kind of the first step and then when we, we talked about what we were doing, um, you know, a number of partners reached out. It was United Way, Chris Middleton and the Bucks, um, you know, Joanne Anton with Herb Cole Philanthropies, Steve Stricker, American Family Shirts Foundation. They just called and said, look, we hear about some of the work you're doing. Tell us where we can make a donation or we can, you know, put some leverage on some other partners and what we can do. And, you know, Zilber Family Foundation came through as well. So they helped support both of those endeavors to start with, and it's still ongoing. So it's been great. Uh, had a number of personal uh, people calling and just saying, you know, I'm not a business, I'm not a corporation, but hey, I've got the ability to make a $1,000 or $2,000 gift, and they've really stepped up. And obviously, every, any gift of any size is meaningful. So, you know, the generosity, I think, has been great. The amount of people saying, like, just get me aware of what's really happening. You know, give me an idea of, you know, what happens at a site. Can I volunteer and help? Is there something you need? Because maybe you guys aren't thinking of it, but I have a connection here or there. Let me help leverage that. Yeah. And all those donations add up to a pretty amazing thing. That's for sure. Um, it's funny asking this next question because we're doing this interview over Zoom. We're both staring at each other <laughs> video conferencing right now. Anyone who, who listens to this will be listening, I assume, on an iPhone or streaming device or something because it's a podcast. But can you put into context or just describe for those people who technology is not a question, just how big of a, of a gap there was, how big of a jump it was for a lot of people in MPS to be able to do online learning, to be able to do that basic transition from in the classroom to at home? 
Yeah, so it's interesting, right? We started out a couple of years ago being able to get funding secured to do a one-to-one -one Chromebook ratio in the classroom. So, right, almost every one of our teachers was ready to go as far as, you know, you can give out a Chromebook during the day, you get it back at the end of the day. There's enough online platforms they were comfortable with and using, but they're more in a group or a small, you know, large group, small group, or individual setting. But you've got the teacher helping you through instruction, right? So now we go home. And obviously, the, the, the quick plan was get everybody that doesn't have a device, a device. And so that was, I think, you know, a, a miraculous feat, and they did it very well. A number of both online surveys, because we know if some parents just have, you know, a mobile device, they can access that survey that way. You know, I'm a, myself an MPS parent, so I got the, you know, the mobile, the um, phone robocall, and then thirdly, you know, a paper survey. So, I, you know, I can verify that all three were received <laughs> in my household. And they did a good job of getting those surveys out. And, you know, roughly 26,000 people responded out of 78,000 said, you know, I need a device. And as we got devices deployed, the secondary piece was, you know, okay, well, I really don't have, you know, true internet or reliable internet, right? Because it could be a parent that is saying, you know, I've got my device and I'm connected, we have 3G, 4G, 5G, whatever it is, through my mobile device. But I don't have, let's say, necessarily an actual line coming into the house to help me with true Wi-Fi. So then that was the next step, right? Like, how do we start to mobilize around that? And one of my board members, Tina Chang, that owns SysLogic, received a call from the mayor and the superintendent and said, hey, it's not totally your realm of expertise, but, you know, what kind of friends do you have that are in the telecom field or you know, thoughts do you have around this? And she said, you know, it's been a passion of mine to make sure students have connectivity. I believe it's a basic need. It's an equity issue. It's a right that we should all have because, you know, think about even during this time, uh, you know, number of uh, businesses that have said, look, we've got jobs. We want you to apply. Well, none of them have said apply in person. They've all said apply online. So, as we're thinking through these things, we're like, yeah, you know, we, we can give you a device, but now we've got to make sure you've got a dedicated equipment that can help you deliver a high-speed internet that's reliable. So Tina came in with a couple of concepts, worked with the IT staff, and they said, look, the way to really do this is to roll out a quality hotspot. And, you know, what would help is if the foundation could help us augment some of the costs. So what we did uh, really a couple of weeks ago was launch the hashtag Connect Milwaukee campaign and you know start to say look we can we can provide a million dollars or look to raise a million dollars this summer and try to get most of that secured by the end of august and really it's a two-fold process right the it department's got some funds they're going to start expending or have expended those dollars to deliver that hotspot today but let's look at a long-term solution and that's kind of where our team comes in and says you know let's as they're depleting their hotspot funds We'll come in and put the icing on the cake to finish off what's left, but let's do a transition piece as well. Because unfortunately, right, um, nobody prepared for this. We only have two dedicated IT professionals that this is their full-time job to help you know, teachers, administration work with the online learning platforms, delivering telepresence and those ideas and concepts throughout the district. You know, and I think from, from what I've heard, you know, a number of members in the IT department have said, look, we're going to step up and kind of, you know, I might be a database person. I'll slide over and help. This is not my, you know, area of expertise, but I'm going to help teachers navigate Zoom. I'm going to help teachers navigate, you know, Microsoft Teams or whatever the product is that they need. 
So we've had a great amount of staff and colleagues that have stepped up to the challenge, but now can we pivot beyond that as well, right? And say, we don't know what the fall is going to look like. We've also got summer school ramping up as we speak and students are going to need that additional resource. So, you know, can we, you know, every teacher is different. Can we find the online platforms that are best for them? Maybe that's where some of our million dollars goes to spend. Do we hire a few other key staff members and you know, help the district out from that perspective to say, we're gonna need maybe six or seven other people deployed around the district to do some of this work because you know, our teachers really didn't come up in, in necessarily, unless you wanted to, weren't doing an online course, right? And you might not be versed in that. And we had a few professionals that were hired for that because let's say maybe you're at a Riverside and you're doing AP chemistry, maybe a school like Marshall doesn't have that resource or teacher they can use that person right from Riverside and not have to drive over or, you know, try to hire another teacher for their classroom. But that's few and far between. So can we augment that work that's happening and look at long-term solutions? And then, you know, I think the third piece of that is, you know, with, and this is not just an MPS problem, right? Statewide, our proficiency is at 40%, which to me is unacceptable. You know, I want our young people, whether it's MPS and anywhere to be successful. You know, I think I got the best of everything coming through the district. My, my friends did, you know, I got other friends that didn't go to the district and got what they needed to be successful. So if we're going to really do that for all of our students across Wisconsin, let's say, can we be ready? Because everybody should probably have a device at home if you're on level or behind. And even if you're ahead, right, what could influence your love of learning more than having the device that's personal to you, that's high powered? So, you know, I've talked to a number of uh, individuals in town, you know, I'll just use uh, Tariq Moody's been a great partner over 88.9 because he's had this digital passion, right, for young people. And he's like, the Chromebook is great, but can we, can we get like a, can we get a, uh, you know, can we get a Surface device? Can we get something that's high powered? Because he's like, I got to teach these kids how to do maybe, they can develop their own game, right? They can uh, learn how to DJ. They can do other things that open up a whole nother world for them in exposure. And he's like, and by the way, the money's really great when they go into those professions. And I said, well, that, that's really the, the icing on the cake, right? Can we transition them off the Chromebook? And that's just the entryway. We get another device that they say, hey, I really want to go into this field. As you know, our partners at American Family and Northwestern Mutual say, we need more kids that are ready for the digital age. Can we get them ready? Yeah. Right? That's an ideal scenario. I know a lot of it is trying to keep as level a playing field as possible with maybe surrounding districts, surrounding suburbs and things like that to have some more resources, have more access to that technology. Whether it's kind of the just the the time we're in now where everyone is forced to be at home or forced to be distant a little bit more. And like like you said, we're not really sure what the fall or spring even next year will mean or bring. Just in general though, what does that ability to learn from home, to learn technology, to be on that level playing field mean for a student's development means for their opportunities down the road. So I think, you know, obviously you want to straddle a very fine line, right? Because we know that you shouldn't probably be in front of a screen all day. It's not great for a young person's development. But at the same time, we do know that everybody learns differently, right? So there have been a number of platforms, whether I've researched them or my academic colleague friends have researched and said, look, this is a great piece of software for a 15, 20 minute stint a day to get you to where you need to be, or to, you say, you know, I'm in the classroom and, you know, my children had this experience being especially the Montessori school, right, where they'll do something and say, you know, I don't have time to get my lesson from the teacher, but, you know, I feel like 
I, I would like to take something else and go a little bit further, right? And the teacher can say, hey, there's a piece of software or something else that could get you the next level. I don't have to be there or I can give you part of that and this can take you the next way. So, you know, I think for us, it's, it's really, can you keep inspiring people to learn, right? I do that with my own kids at home. You know, if they're bored or whatever, or they, we ask certain questions, you know, whether it be, you know, things that are going on now, right? The protests. I was like, well, you know, hey, your parents came from the rural South. I think this is a great time for you to learn about, like, how did not only them, but other people make their way here to the North for jobs? You know, why did that happen? Why was it important? You know, you, you have a device, go look it up. I shouldn't, you know, I can fill in the blanks and relate to you some personal stories. But I think you need to look these things up. And, and is, you know, friends of mine that are in academia, they like, you know, make the student actually go do the work to do some of the research on their own. And so I think that's, that's the piece for us, right? Can you unlock and, and inspire a love of learning so that they can really start to problem solve, think for themselves, right? You know, all of us have had jobs where they've said, hey, kid, go figure it out. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's the most important thing for us. Can we develop critical skills for our students where they're thinking on their own, they can problem solve, and they can create their own version of innovation, well said. It's also a nice segue because I was going to ask you about some of the uh, even more recent news that we've been experiencing here in Milwaukee, here across our, our country, and, and as it turns out, the world as well. And so much of the focus has been on policing, I think, and on race relations between the police and black communities across the country. But it does speak to even that access to, to technology and some of the educational opportunities for folks. I guess in general, just what has been your reaction to some of the protests that we have seen here in Milwaukee across the country? And does this time feel different to you? Because that seems to be the sense that many people are saying. Yeah, so I don't, it, it feels different for my lifetime, obviously, uh, as a 47-year-old person. But, you know, I, and I haven't, I, I actually, it reminds me, I do owe my parents a phone call, right, to check in with them because I didn't this week. But, um, you know, checking in with them because, you know, they lived through a lot of protests and riots, things that have happened. You know, other relatives of ours were, you know, at or near Kent State when that happened. And I'd like to check in with them just to say, okay, does this feel truly different to you? It feels different to me. Um, I, you know, I've joked with friends of mine that Gen Xers and said, if there ever was, and before all of this, right, I said, if there ever was a time for our young people to protest, it should kind of be now. And I said that in the last several years, right? Um, and now they finally are kind of doing it. So it, it's great to see young people you know, out and saying what they want. You know, my, my concern and my hope, and I'm optimistic that they will take this and voice their opinion when it comes to, you know, elections. And not only election, right? Because the election is just one step. You know, what, what I think some of our young people may forget is that as tough as it feels at times, our elected officials will listen when you kind of force them to listen, right? You know, some of the work I did in years past uh, we did few, a few mobilization efforts, right, at Capitol Hill in D.C. And, you know, the good old-fashioned letter-writing campaign, going to Gwen Moore, finding something that was near and dear to her heart, and pushing that and saying, okay, well, you can't be the only one in Congress that likes this, and finding colleagues on both sides of the aisle that supported our effort. We found corporations, nonprofits, and, you know, several thousand letters later, we were able to get a bill sponsored that was in our favor. So these things work. But I would encourage our young people really to think about, you know, the, the, the long game, right? Don't think about the short game. 
keep protesting, but be very articulate about what you want to see happen, how you would like it delivered, because you don't want to rush to policy decisions that may impact you in a negative manner, that it was an unintended consequence. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to see. Um, you know, my, my kids, my, I have a 16 and 20 year old, they went out and, you know, I said, be responsible, right? Wear a mask, do the things you have to do, wash when you come home, make sure that you're all good. But, you know, I think you've got to support what you believe in. And so it's great to see. One of the things that I think has been uh, very powerful during this time is just the, the awareness, putting things front and center about what the experience is like for so many black people in this country, so many black Americans. Um, I'd be curious if there's something, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Me Too movement where myself as a white guy, all of a sudden you realize like all these experiences that your female friends are having, your, your black yeah. friends are having. Are there things that come to mind in your life, whether it's growing up, whether it's your career as personal experiences that, that kind of instilled in you in an early age that unfortunately things are not perfect yet in this country? Right. You know, I think, um, well, oddly enough, right, well, maybe not so oddly enough, right, my story is not dissimilar for anyone that grew up in Milwaukee. You know, you leave for a while, go to Chicago to go to school, and then you come back, and you hope that things have changed somewhat. And obviously, a number of instances, whether it be you know, the kind of getting stopped because you're driving while black or you, you're, you're with friends that they get stopped and you're in the car with them. And, you know, I think I've been very fortunate, right? Nothing's ever happened. Um, you know, one that always sticks out in my mind, and it was an interesting experience, was um, I coached youth soccer for a long time, still do a little bit. Uh, when I took on the assignment to be the uh, first assistant at Whitefish Bay High School in the late 90s, and, um, you know, there always used to be, so the, the, the deal was the, uh, the person that was head coach was also executive director of, of the Milwaukee kickers. So he could not care every day as practice was to start at three o'clock or three 30. So I'd start practice. He would finish off towards the tail end. And it was always interesting the first year of doing it, um, at least the first month really being there, there was always a squad car, Whitefish Bay police that would always circle, uh, the practice area. And, you know, I really obviously knew what was going on. You know, you have the one black male out there with mostly white females. And, you know, and, and frankly, in the back of my head, because my dad and my mother had to talk with me, you know, one of the many talks, uh, hey, you're coaching young white ladies. No one's near your car. No one's, you know, you're no one's in your car. Uh, make sure that they're a certain distance away from you. So these are the things that you're going to have to do and make sure that everything looks on the up and up. And obviously it was. And so, you know, probably about a month, month and a half in, the, cop stopped, the, the, the squad car stopped circling. And the, the freshman coach had a statement to me and he said, you know, I'm interested in what your experience been coming into Whitefish Bay, coming out, have you been stopped? And I said, no, I never did. But I said, you know, the squad car used to always come by. And he's like, you know, I think that's so-and-so's parent. And I'm almost sure that another parent must have said he's okay, so it stopped. But he's like, let me tell you a little bit of my story. I adopted two African-American sons. And every time they've come to deliver something for me into Whitefish Bay, they've always been stopped. And I was like, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, no matter how much you try, you can't avoid it. Yeah. And, you know, the experience, I, I think it was obviously very odd, right, because, um, that was probably early on in my career doing youth soccer coaching. I had in, in mostly, right, soccer being a mostly suburban, mostly white sport, but I did, you know, do work in the inner city with the Simba Lion program. You know, kids are kids. Parents are parents. 
every parent wants the best for their kids. So, it, you know, whether it be winning two championships at Whitefish Bay or, you know, having success at the Simbas, parents were like, as long as you're vested in my, my child, I'm going to be vested in you. So still talk to many of those parents today. I think that, you know, maybe I would hope that our relationship is one that, you know, transcended race or got them to see and look differently or be vested in, in saying, you know, I've got to think about people of color a little bit differently than I do. Um, you know, I, I do joke and I say, it was amazing. I never had so many white parents come and give me a hug and a kiss. Uh, you know, winning two state championships will do that for you. But at the same time, like I said, I, I think, you know, many of those folks that I still talk to today, they would pick up the phone for anything I needed, for anything the foundation needed, uh, for anything my kids needed. So I think, you know, when it gets down to it, I, I look at it and say, part of the crux of many of our problems is developing relationships, right? It's, you know, we haven't, uh, you know, and I, a very unique uh, situation growing up, right? My, my, like I mentioned, my parents coming from the deep South and my mom's experience much different than my dad's, right? They, uh, you know, just outside of Jackson, Mississippi. And, you know, there's still never been a clear story as to how my grandfather acquired 80 acres of land in the 1920s, right? That's like unheard of. So, you know, their mentality was much different than many other blacks in the South. And so that shaped who we are, you know, my brother and I and our cousins, how we, you know, see the world, view the world. And, you know, we, we, we understand that the racial issues are there. They've always been there. You know, we probably are more um, cognizant of the fact that we've never really dealt with relationship building after the Civil War, right? It was just a series of things. You have Reconstruction, you sweep it under the rug, right? You kind of take it away. You have the Civil Rights era movement, you pass some bills, then you sweep it under the rug. It's like not there. We elected a black president, you sweep it under the rug. So, you know, maybe this is the moment where we finally can have real conversation. You know, I uh, talked to a friend of mine last night and said, can we get beyond, you know, every corporation putting out a statement and just doing real action, right? Don't say you're with us, just put somebody in the C-suite and let them actually run the business. Like that would be real action. And talk about, you know, why you didn't do it before and not to chastise, but just to reflect on and internalize like what that means. Right. And as you go through that journey, right, you know, we're, we're trying to do this thing together. So that's, you, you can't divorce and say, well, I want you to feel guilty from what happened. You know, I want you to have a, be able to have a clear and open dialogue as to why, what happened, when did it happen? And can we move forward together and create something better for all of our children after us? Yeah. That's well said, and hopefully those, uh, those actions back up all those many words and many statements we have seen. Uh, no easy way to transition, but I'd love to finish up with uh, some fun stuff as you've been very kind with the time here. In general, what is something that is, uh, like you mentioned, took over as COO of, of Milwaukee Public Schools back in 2015? What is something that has been just absolutely rewarding about working for that organization, working now for a, a nonprofit as well? Because I know your background is kind of in a lot of different things. So what about this, this most recent chapter has been particularly rewarding? Well, I'd say that the most similar thread, right, is that I still get to impact a lot of students. And, you know, it transcends the students to the families and even citywide, right? So when you say you get to serve 78,000 students, their families in the city, that's still inspiring each and every day. That kind of gets you going very easily to say that, you know, hopefully the work you do uh, will help them be better. And, you know, for me, hopefully uh, they can transcend and be more successful than I was. 
you know, and I, I look at, you know, I always would joke with um, staff that I had, whether it was the 2000 staff I had under me there or, you know, the two now uh, and everywhere in between, you know, the one thing that's great is that we have the ability to inspire a lot of people to do their best. So, you know, every day people talk about all this and that with MPS. Well, the this and that should really be, we've got 158 schools. That means there's 158 great things happening somewhere, right? We don't, not everybody's telling us all the stories, right? We're, it's easy to pick out like, ah, this school had a fight today or this school had this. You know, you know what, we, I check with all my friends, seems to me across the country, their, friend, their schools are having the exact same, whether it's suburban, rural, or city, kids are kids, right? Now there's maybe more of one versus the other at times, but in every school, something's great happening. So can we highlight that work? And that's the fun part for me is when we find stories of, you know, teachers and students and the principals having like their eureka moment and, you know, finding some inspiration. That's great. I think, you know, that's what keeps us inspired and saying, you know, can this young person reach their fullest potential? Because, you know, the reality is you hope and I, and I see, I see it every day, right? The people that are after us are a lot smarter than we are because they have the beneficiary of seeing every mistake we make. So they can, they can react on it. They can, you know, internalize it and they can do something better than what we did. So it's up to us to make sure they can get those, you know, stories and those mistakes out there and they don't have to live through as much, but they've also got technology, right? Innovation. They, they can, you know, I talk to my kids, right? They can easily connect with their cousins, friends that are worldwide. You know, we had to actually drop a letter in the mailbox. So it's a much different day. <laughs> I have a lot of stamps that I no longer have a need for <laughs> sitting in my, my drawer upstairs. <laughs> um, this kind of just came to me. I, I don't know if you have a story about this or not, but there's always this thing about, uh, you know, the, the student or the friend who has his mom or dad as a teacher in the school, whether they're his actual class or not. Did your kids have to go through this with a, with a dad who was an executive in, in the entire district, or is that less so if it's not in the same building, in the same classroom? Oh, no. Like I said, every child's the same. So all, all three, it didn't matter what age they were, when I took the job at the district, they were like, well, dad, uh, can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm like, no, you don't get any preferential treatment. As a matter of fact, you're going to get the opposite. You're, I'm going to add school days for the three of you. I'm going to make sure there's more school. So the, the, the big thing that they were so happy about with my prior job was that I was part of the group that would call school for snow days or if it was too cold. So, you know, until 11 o'clock at night, it didn't matter how small the snowfall was. Dad, can we get a snow day tomorrow? Dad, are you going to get it? Come on, call it. You and Dr. Driver can call it. You and, you and Dr. Posey can call it. Come on, let's, let's just, we, we need that day off tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're not getting that day. And even if you think you're getting the day off, you're shoveling. So <laughs> <laughs> They come back in limping like, oh, man, I slipped. It's really bad out there. <laughs> you should probably think about calling it. <laughs> so that, that, was, that was the biggest height of my, my kids, uh, you know, and then telling their friends because their friends would text them, right, and say, like, hey, are you sure your dad can't call it tomorrow? We've got that test. We need to cancel. That's hilarious. I didn't even think about that part of it. Um, since you mentioned him, I'd be curious about this. Chris Middleton's been so involved in stuff, many different avenues in our community. And uh, we end up on this podcast, uh, certainly getting our fair share of Giannis stories, whether it's people with the bucks and whatnot. But what strikes you about the other all-star on this, uh, on this amazing team that we're hopefully going to get resume their, their title push here? What's, what stood out about Chris? Well, I, th I think the generosity and both the understanding, right? You know, just 
you know, from the first phone call, you know, so it's one of those things where you're Saturday afternoon, right? The pandemic stuff is kind of starting, kicking into high gear. And, you know, I probably shouldn't be as, should have been probably paying attention to my family. So they can, they can say, yes, dad doesn't pay attention. And he admitted it, uh, you know, live on a podcast. And so uh, as I'm checking emails, I get one from Peter Fagan at the Bucks and his team, you know, Arvin and Jack. And they're like, uh, we think we have a player that wants to do something with you, but you need to take it from here. And so I was like, okay, well, cryptic enough, but enough that I can figure out what to do. So they get me in touch with his people. And as we're going back and forth, they said, well, you know, his passion is around students, their ability to be successful, but what are their real needs at this time? As we started talking through, it was like right away, you know, it didn't take much. It was, yes, I want to do that. Yes, I'm all in. And, you know, really, I, yeah, give me some credit, but I don't need a lot of credit. And I was like, well, can, can we do this with you? Can we do that? And he's like, no, I really don't need that much credit. I just want to make sure that your students get what they need. So I think, you know, the, the, his ability to be truly genuine, and I think that gets lost at times, right? You know, a number of us have obviously dealt with professional athletes, had good actions, we've had great ones, we've had poor ones, and everywhere in between. And, you know, I think um, one of the things is, you know, kind of growing to know Peter and his team as they got to town and then integrating folks that are from Milwaukee or bringing other folks in, you know, I think they're, they're, the genuineness of the organization has, you know, parlayed to the team members and the actual athletes that say, you know, we want to be part of the fabric, you know, things like even where Jabari Parker still has, you know, contacts and ties here. I think it's, it's just amazing to see, you know, not that the organization didn't have it, but to see in a 21st century mode of, you know, the, the players kind of their enlightened movement that they've got and saying, you know, hey, we're going to be part of something. You can see kind of a genuineness in their eyes as to, you know, I'm going to be here and actually work and do this tutoring with the student. And they're, you know, they are present. Like I, I you know, like I admitted before, I'm not always present. Uh, they are very, very present. They have never been checking their phones. And to the point of really their people have said, hey, we've got to pull you away. We've got to get to this game. We've got to get the other thing. You know, we've had to tell players, like, you can't just show up to a school on your own. Because, you know, that's a safety issue. <laughs> Please tell us. When, you know, it's, it's great that you want to be involved. And they really do. And so that's, that's been a blessing and, you know, just a great benefit for us to see. Um, just a couple more here. Uh, I'd be curious, favorite, favorite spot around town, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's, you know, going to a Bucks game, what do you do to, when you do have a, a little bit of free time, when you can't slow down from going 110 miles per hour for a second, what do you enjoy most about this city? So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's been like uh, the fact that we moved to the east side 10 years ago, uh, being able to just walk down to the lake, you know, we're five, six blocks from, or, you know, go to Riverside Park and go through the Arboretum that's there. You know, th those are two things that kind of, you know, I can have a silent, still moment. Um, but also, you know, I'd say so favorite place to eat, the one place that, especially when all this came down, I was talking with uh, my kids about this. They were like, man, Dad, you're, you're doing a lot of cooking because I just said I was ordering tons of groceries, right? Probably more than I needed to. So we're just cooking, cooking, cooking around the clock. And then move from that to, well, let's support somebody every weekend. So you know, my guilty pleasure has always been Sally's. And nice. so that's been the place for us to support them on a Saturday night. So we, we've, we're, we're kind of a burger family. So we've been, you know, Sally's Cops, Oscars, we've done the rounds. Uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I said our other favorite place is, uh, you know, Maharaja for Indian food. So, you know, we kind of, everybody's kind of 
we try to be as egalitarian as possible with a household of five. And so it was starting to be, you know, one night out sponsor. And then my youngest, who's 11, said, I'm, I'm seeming I'm not getting a choice here. So uh, we were like, okay, fine, we'll do two nights out to sponsor somebody. And so we said, you know, she'd come up with her place. But, you know, doing that, um, I think a lot of it, right, it's been nice to actually, you know, not have to go to all the soccer practices, all the things that we've been involved in uh, because the hustle and bustle. So it's, it's been nice just to get to know each family member a little bit better and have like, you know, the moment where I say I'm, I'm putting away my devices and we're actually talking or we take long walks um, and just get out what's on your mind. So that, that's been an interesting thing. And then learning like, you know, what do they really want to do, right? Because sometimes they don't even have time themselves to do what they want to do versus kind of what's happening because schools kind of force you to do it or your parents force you to do it. So, you know, it's been an interesting time the last couple of months just kind of reconnecting with everybody in the household. And then final question for you. This is way out of the blue, but I was scrolling through your Twitter feed and I saw one of the things you're doing to kind of get away, going back through the Marvel movies. And they're some of my favorites. So oh, yeah. I, had to, I had to throw this out. Either, uh, either favorite character or favorite one of the, uh, of the Marvel movies that you've rediscovered or, or gone back to, especially during this time. It's like having kids to some degree, right? You love everybody equally a little bit, but you know, the, the, the Robert Downey Jr. snarkiness of Tony Stark always has a special place in my heart, even though, you know, probably Black Panther is probably one of my favorites. And then from a movie perspective, I guess um, I'm diametrically opposed to a lot of other people, but I would say that, uh, you know, the Winter Soldier movie of Captain America is one of my favorites because it's a spy movie. Yeah. It just happens to involve superheroes. The other one I would say is uh, Infinity War because I, I do like the point of view of Thanos and, um, you know, kind of, you've waited 20 some movies to get to like, what is his point of view? Yeah. <laughs> Being a, you know, I was a comic book guy. I've got actually a friend that is, does comic books for a living. I'm always jealous of him. And, uh, I, you know, we always have an argument about these things because he's like, I never really liked comic books. I just do it for a living. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> why are you like this? Don't you know you're at the Holy grail, like of doing all this work? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Wendell, thank you. Continued uh, health to your family and, and can't wait to see what happens with all that you guys are doing with the foundation for this Connect Milwaukee. We'll put some information on that uh, on our website as well for people to find out. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carl. I appreciate you having me. This has been great. Thank you once again to Wendell Willis for all the time. Fun to end with a little comic book talk as well. And a big thank you to a pair of people you don't hear from who work so hard behind the scenes to make Definitely Milwaukee possible. That would be Dave Machuda and Sarah Smith on the editing and producing side. If you want more from the podcast or from the Fox 6 Investigators podcast, Open Record, make sure to download and give us a good rating on any of your podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And you can find any of the latest episodes online at fox6now.com. <laughs>